Hello, everyone. Welcome to A Seat at the Table podcast. I'm your host, Bianca Heron, lead editor at HR Daily Advisor. This podcast focuses on diversity, equity, and inclusion in the workplace, featuring thoughtful conversations and insight from experts, change makers, and leaders from the business world. I'm super excited to have Zanika Chapman on the show. She helps women rediscover their inner strength and confidence after an encounter with a workplace bully. As a trained journalist and communication strategist, Zanika uses her unique background to help people identify what's no longer working in their lives, discover their unique strengths, and design an action plan to create a life they love. Today, we're chatting about how HR managers and organizations can address racially fueled workplace bullying. A survey done by Gallup last year found that workplace bullying disproportionately affects Black and Hispanic Americans. Key findings of this survey also found that workplace discrimination causes disengagement and undermines well-being. Workplace discrimination can affect employees' perceptions of an organization's culture, their opportunities, and their co-workers' intentions. And that this discrimination can also affect their feelings of psychological safety and belonging, as well as their ability to do their best work. What I also loved about this survey, as well as that, it found that greater inclusivity starts with an awareness of these effects. So with that said, let's dive into it. Zanika, welcome to the show, and thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. I'm super, super excited. Me too. My first question for you, what is your definition of having a seat at the table? My definition of having a seat at the table is being in an environment where I can feel seen, heard, and valued on a regular basis. I love that. I love that. Now, when you reached out to me via email, I, I was a bit taken aback because I get a lot of pitches, but I had not received anything about racially fueled bullying uh, in the workplace. And you, you gave a story about how one of your managers in your experience stood over your cubicle desk uh, and how her arms were flailing as she yeah. screamed at you, telling you how useless you were. And then she walked away. Could you talk a bit about that, please? Yeah. So if, if you can imagine just being in, I, and I, I called work the cube farm. So being in cube farm or cubicle nation, that's how I like to describe it. But, you know, being sitting there trying to do your work, trying to be productive and just having someone, you know, just the sense of being in that environment where they're standing over you, it literally feels like they're towering over you and she's yelling and she's talking. And I think what was most impactful for me in that moment, that particular day was that was actually like at a point for me where it was completely normalized. And I didn't realize (laughs) that she was even being in that state until she walked away and the IMs and the pings from everybody else around, because nothing's really private in in Cube Nation. All of my other colleagues saying, oh my God, are you okay? Like, is that normal? Like, how is she talking to you like that? And I just remember saying like, it's Thursday. What are you guys talking about? You know, like it was, it wasn't even, it didn't even bother me, but that was when I realized that, you know, this behavior was not normal. And that was after many, many, many months of really, you know, psychological abuse in private in the offices before it actually erupted to that point where everybody was now taking notice and seeing it. Yeah, absolutely. And one truly an unfortunate event, and I'm sorry that that happened to you. 
in my experience as well, I've actually had that happen to me yeah. on a few occasions, yelling at me, pulling mm-hmm. me to the side or either standing over my shoulder at the desk or standing literally in front of me yeah. in cube nation, as you uh, put it, you know, in front of the other coworkers. And mm-hmm. I'd never seen them do it to, you know, mm-hmm. anyone else, but it was me. Yeah. So it is, unfortunately, it's, it's not normal if you don't see it, but it is normal and in, in the sense that it happens to people of color. Absolutely. And we just don't talk about it. Absolutely. And I think it's so funny, um, Bianca, that you said, I've gotten so many pitches, but nobody ever talks about one, workplace bullying, and two, that bullying being racially fueled. Mm-hmm. And when I started telling my story, or, or really we can take it back to the summer of 2020, when so many other women of color and Black women started sharing their stories around just being in these work environments. And I thought, wow, I knew the experience that I had, but I had no idea that this woman in California and this woman in Texas and this woman in Detroit and this woman in New Jersey, how is it that we are all having identical, you know, you read these stories and everybody's like, that happened to me. That happened to me. I went through that too, but nobody was talking about it in this whole conversation of DEI and creating inclusive workplaces. Nobody was talking about the experiences that Black women and women of color were having in the workplace. Absolutely. And it's completely insane to think about it. How does workplace bullying manifest? Yeah. So when people often ask me, you know, what is workplace bullying? What does it look like? I just like to level set people. And I use the definition that's been coined by the Workplace Bullying Institute and how they describe it or define it is repeated health harming mistreatment by one or more employees of an employee. So this could be verbal, this could be um, any behavior that is perceived as threatening, intimidating, humiliating. So standing over a cubicle and yelling at someone in front of their colleagues, humiliating. Work sabotage. So that could look like when you get an assignment and you don't quite have all the pieces, right? Work sabotage or consistently denying someone of their PTO. You know, and things that happened to me were inviting the entire team to a meeting, but not inviting me. And of course, you know, it's easy to say, oh, that's an oversight. But when it happens consistently, is it really an, an oversight, right? Or any combination of those things. So what can we all do to stop letting managers bully employees? So I think one of the things that we all have to start doing is, is you know, we tend to think of company culture as something that leadership passes down and, and, and it comes from the top down. And in some instances, that's true. But when it comes to bullying, if you look at the work that we've done around adolescence and bullying in, in that arena, that is really something that we have taught all of our children to not tolerate, whether it's being directed at you as someone else. Yeah. Right. You, you, you can and you see it happening. These little kids will jump in and say, "Ah, he's bullying her. Right. So we have to start empowering each employee to take ownership of the fact that we are not going to have this culture of intimidation and humiliation happening. And when we see it happening, we as a collective are going to call you out on it. Absolutely. Uh, And I think, of course, this ties greatly uh, with my next point here. Of course, it's Black History Month. And it's the perfect time for leaders to assess their company's DEI efforts. So when it comes to DEI initiatives, I know that you believe that these should include training people around bullying tactics and focusing on building in an inclusive environment 
Uh, and of course, to your point, like you just said, that increases the likelihood of witnesses of abuse to come forward. What does this entail and where does a leader start? Not just the team, as you mentioned, but where does a leader start? Because it's a lot to unpack here. It is a lot to unpack. And I think for leaders, it starts with your own belief in articulating that belief around how you you expect people to be treated within your environment. Because, you know, a lot of times, Bianca, we like to think about like, we've got to change this whole ship, right? But really start with your specific sphere of influence. Yeah. Right? So so who am I? And what now that you know that workplace bullying exists, you know what it looks like. Most of us have seen it. If we want to get real, most of us have seen some instances of bullying at some point in our career now that you're in a position of leadership you have to get very clear around here is what i will and will not allow to happen within my organization and and also within your fear of influence are your colleagues at your same level that you can start to have a conversation with hey i heard about this thing today and what do you think about it what are some ways that we can work together to ensure that we don't have people on our teams who feel like they're coming to work and getting bullied Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. And I've got two points here uh, that I want to follow up with. One, uh, this sounds like a lot has to do with HR leadership training as well. Yeah. So you said that in your experience, when you spoke to an HR rep about your manager's bullying, you were told that, quote unquote, perhaps she's trying to make you a better employee. Yeah. And I've totally heard that in my experience as well, which is like, how could it, how could that be the case when I feel like crap, you know, and yeah. I don't feel empowered in my role. So it's important that HR staff know the difference between harassment and leadership. Can you talk about what's the difference there, please? I think it's important for our, our HR leaders to understand a couple of different things because we we can have data that can tell us a couple of different stories. And I, I think that when we start to center um, people of marginalized communities in some of our HR initiatives and HR programs, we have to understand that two things can be true at one time. Because in my particular scenario, there were some who were very vocal that these particular leaders were incredible mentors to them, had helped them significantly in their career, but these particular leaders were harassing me. They were bullying to me, and it was it was clear to others in the office that both that those leaders were both of those things at the same time. And so I think that we have to start listening to people um, of different backgrounds, people of marginalized communities, to understand their point of view. And you know, when I think about what that HR representative said to me, it was also a form of gaslighting. So that was another point that I was being manipulated in the trauma that I was going through. And so I think also things like coaching, helping HR leaders to understand how to how to lead people who might be experiencing trauma, how to have trauma informed conversations with other people, because we tend to not think that trauma can occur in the workplace. But based on the conversation that you and I have had, we know that many people are going through very traumatic situations in the workplace all the time and you and i don't get to define what is traumatic for another person and neither does an hr representative and so i think having conversations with people from that lens that hey i don't get to decide what is traumatic for this person 
Absolutely. Absolutely. I love it. I love that. And I think that this is a great time to mention microaggressions in the workplace, which unfortunately uh, aren't talked about enough. Why is it important to recognize and respond to microaggressions in the workplace? Because I, I think for people who are on the receiving end of microaggressions, you know, those little pricks add up, those little everyday slights that maybe those in the dominant culture don't realize our everyday slights, they add up. And if I consistently just prick you, prick you, prick you, prick you, prick you in the same spot every day, every day, you're eventually going to bleed. Yeah. <laughs> and that's going to cause a, a sore and that's going to start to fester. And what tends to happen with microaggressions, again, you may have someone who's brave enough to point that out to someone. And then their response is some form of gaslighting or you didn't mean it that way. But I think that we have to get real and people in the workplace have to get real about really what what side of the DEI fight do you want to be on? Like for real, yeah. because it's not easy work. And I imagine if, if I come up to, to some of my colleagues and say, now, you know, that was a microaggression. It's not easy to hear because we don't want to address those parts of ourselves. But if it's easy for us to understand that everybody has unconscious bias, which is a term we love to talk about. We blame so much stuff on unconscious bias. And I'm going to argue, you know, sometimes you're very conscious of what you're doing because you're making a conscious effort not to listen, not to understand, not to just be quiet and take the lesson. But that's a, a different podcast. That ain't what we're going to talk about today. But, you know, I imagine that that is a, a difficult conversation for other people to hear. But I think that knowing that those tiny slights add up for the person on the receiving end is enough for us to start to have the conversation and at least address them. And I, and I think, you know, it's also one of those things that people are like, I don't even know what that is. Yeah. <laughs> and so a simple, seriously, people, we live in the age of the internet. A simple Google search can help you understand what a microaggression is. Like, I, I think it's also time for some of us to stop hiding behind. Oh, my God, I didn't know. You know, or if you don't know, we live in an age now where you can figure it out. Absolutely. So many great points there, Zanika. Uh, one, I love your uh, metaphor about if you're pricking a person every day, they're going to eventually bleed uh, and that's going to fester and turn into a sore. Yeah. Not only that, if I may add, that person is going to eventually start bleeding out and over everyone else around them in the environment as well. Right. And like the Gallup survey said, it's gonna affect their perceptions of the organization's culture, their opportunities, and their coworkers and managers' intentions. Absolutely. You uh, mentioned earlier, which is a, another point that I love, basically about prioritizing voices mm -hmm. of uh, the voices of women of color. And of course, uh, as you said, the first step is acknowledging that the existing system is broken. Uh, and that women of color do not feel heard. Of course, the next step is intentionally creating room to listen to women of color. Could you give some examples? Yeah. So, I, I mean, I, I think there has to be this distinction between we, we love in corporate culture to lump all women together. So it's the women's empowerment group or the women's business group. And, and I think even within those organizations and those who lead those organizations, there has to just be an awareness and an acceptance that women of color are having a different experience. And I think that we just need to start there. And that's difficult for people to say that 
because we love to say, no, we're all girls here. We're all women. And we are not having the same experience. We don't all have the same access to support and mentorship and leadership opportunities that some of our counterparts do and understanding how difficult that is to be a woman of color, to be equally qualified, equally educated, and you have to train the person that's gonna come in and lead you that has none of the qualifications that you have. And so I, I think just starting from a place of acceptance, we have to start there. One of the other uh, things that I see that you also mentioned uh, how to intentionally create room to listen to women of color, uh, is it includes sending women of color employees anonymous feedback forms and actually taking this information into consideration. Can you elucidate on that, please? Yeah, so I think a lot of companies like to do um, the good old uh, employee survey. And so there are a couple of things with that. I, I think that if you're gonna do them, take the information in the same way you would to your broader employee base. I think that if you're gonna do the surveys, then there has to be consorted effort behind the surveys, just like with anything else. When you see those surveys and the big broad things, it's like, oh, we wanna tell you what we did to fix this big broad issue. And, and I have seen companies that ask very specifically, they, they know they're very data conscious and they understand, hey, our women of color say they don't see an opportunity for advancement. Our women of color, our people of color say, I'm not gonna be here in the next three to five years. I don't plan to be here. We know that they don't stay. We are bleeding people of color like crazy. But when it comes to actually building the initiatives to address that, I have seen just in my experience, many companies, those numbers stay flat. And where they have an opportunity to, to address those issues, there are always other reasons why they're not. And so I think one understanding that if you're gonna do the survey, then you've gotta be committed on the back end because your employees are watching. But I think it's also important to understand that that's kind of been the norm, the standard of how we address this, but also understanding if you know that certain groups come from a place of trauma, many people don't take them because they don't trust. They either don't trust that you're going to, that the study is actually anonymous and they don't trust that you're gonna do anything with the data. And we all know what happens in, in organizations where there is a lack of trust. And so I, I think the employee surveys are a great start, but I think that, that companies and organizations have to remain committed on the back end to addressing all of the issues included in the surveys and looking at other opportunities to speak directly to employees, right? But not just looking at it from a survey perspective. Look at some of those HR complaints. Look at those exit interviews, because I think there's no better time when people are honest than when they are getting the heck up out of there. I think that it, leaders who really want to address this, you know, you're going to have to be a little bit more courageous and get into those rooms where maybe you're the other, right? Join those other conversations because they're happening. And I tell people all the time, like, Black women and women of color, we are not suffering in silence, but we are suffering in silos. And it's time that we start having these conversations on platforms like this, because we didn't create these issues by ourselves and we certainly cannot fix them by ourselves. It's gonna require all of us working together, but it's also gonna require people who are in leadership positions today to be a little courageous 
and step out of that CEO suite, step out of that director box and sit down and have some conversations. Absolutely. I love that. Chills there, Zanika. Chills there with that. And I think that's also not only being courageous, if I may, but you're going to you're going to be a bit uncomfortable. That's right. You're going to be a bit uncomfortable, but it's okay. It's okay. You know, because you you can make it through that uncomfortability. Uh, And on this other side of that, it's a someone one of my other previous guests he said uh div is a big warm hug it's not about preference and that's what you get to yeah 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 i love that i love that i love that thank you uh, i think this is a great segue here uh of course to your point you, you kind of touched on a bit but of course i like to dig further uh how can hr leaders evolve deib from a checkbox item to an environment where it's woven into the fabric of their culture Yeah, I love that question. How can they go from it being a checkbox to being woven into the culture? Take it off, like uncheck the box, go deeper, right? Like whatever's on your plan right now, take a look at those goals and say, how can we go deeper? How does this impact all the way down into our organization? When you think about whatever that looks like for your organization, how does this big giant goal How does it support that person? Are we doing enough and go much deeper than probably what every DEI practitioner has or HR leader has on their, has on the plate right now? Get seconds and thirds. (laughs) That's right. I love that. I love that. I've got one more question for you, but before I ask that, Zanika, is there anything else that you like to add or talk about? No, I I think that that we covered a lot. I I think that if I may, I would just add for anyone who's listening, if you find that you're in a place where you're dealing with um, a lot of workplace trauma and you want a place to work through that, I have tons of resources available on my website. I also have a very unique coaching program that's designed specifically for Black women to help you reclaim your power from some of these things that we talked about, microaggressions, gaslighting, bullying. And we're going to open a next cohort very soon. So I definitely wanted to let people know that that is a resource for you to get the support that you need if you're looking for it. I love that. I love that. And what's your website? It's ZanikaChapman.com. And you can find the specifics for that under group coaching. Awesome. Okay. Now my final question for you. Are you ready for it? I'm ready. Zanika, what's on your heart? I love that question. Oh, man. What is on my heart um, at the moment is that I want to let my women of color, specifically Black women, know that your feelings are valid. Because I, I have gotten a lot of response when I talk about bullying or when we talk about gaslighting or any of these things of, you know, I'm raising these things to my leadership and nobody's listening to me. Nobody's hearing me. And I just want you to know that you do not need any manager, director, or leadership structure to validate your feelings. You have the ability to acknowledge what is happening to you, and you have the power and the ability to feel any emotion that you feel as a result of that. We are, we are human beings having a human experience, and we, as Black women, as women of color, have access to the full range of human emotion, and we just haven't been taught how to deal with those feelings, how to handle those feelings, how to sit in those feelings. And so I just want anyone who's going through this, 
I know this was sometimes this is a difficult conversation. It brings up a lot of emotions, but I just want you to know that your feelings are valid. I love that. I love that. And I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation, Zanika. Me too. Thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It's a great conversation. Absolutely. Absolutely. To our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in today. And remember, you can listen to us on SoundCloud and iTunes. Again, I'm Bianca Heron. Join us next time at the table. And as always, we'll have your seat waiting for you.